folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Folks, uh, Steve Williamson here. Uh, Karen McClellan is sitting across from me. Um, before we start our show, um, our um, fundraiser has now been rescheduled from May 13th to May 20th. There was a conflict with um, uh, the mayor's uh, race. So the fundraiser is May Friday, May 20th at um, from 5 to 7 p.m. And it's at El Portal in the uh, courtyard of El Portal. And um, we'll give you the, the addresses and so forth and so on. But El Portal is, is part of that the, the Tlacopaki complex. It's up on that hill. It's a great place. should be fun. We're going to have drinks and, uh, and, um, and hors d'oeuvres and uh, speakers and um, different representatives. Um, we haven't had a fundraiser um, for th- over three years now because of COVID. Uh, we had a fund run- one fundraiser, and then we paused fundraisers, and then COVID hit, and we couldn't hold them because we like to hold in-person fundraisers. We're going to think about the radio. We're here talking to people all the time, and we talk to people individually in our lives and and, and um recruit people to come on the show but we don't see a lot of the people who are supporters of the show so it's important for us not to have a a zoom meeting which are wonderful but to actually see and greet and talk with the people who support the program Um, if we do not get good support uh, from the fundraiser or from your donations by going on to our website which is the shortest uh, address is vvid.org. If we do not get contributions, we'll be off the air in about three months. So we have about three months left of of being on the air. That'll get us through uh, June, July, August. I'd really like to keep the show going. It's been going for 11 years. Um, we lost a lot of our contacts with people with COVID, and we lost our, our largest uh, individual donors. And so it, it takes a lot of money to buy the airtime for the show. Um, I don't know quite what we'll do. Maybe we'll go to every other week, or first and third uh, Mondays of the month or something, to see if we can keep go, keep going to the end of the year. But we need your support. Yeah, Karen? Until then, check in. We'll put some things up on our Facebook page. Emails for those of you that we have emails for, you know, about about the fundraiser. You know, we've got a capability to you know make it give us a ten dollar a month donation, you know, something like that really helps. And we'll we'll look at some things for to keep you up to date on the fundraiser. We may have some special guests, that you know, some politicians, other people that you might want to just come up, meet and greet, have a chance to talk to in a casual way, and and yeah. maybe if you know work on a few sort of raffle items where you can give us some money and have a chance to win, you know, some. You know, baskets of sort of wine and cheese and things like that. So, Ev will be. I'll be out of town for a week. So after when I get back, we'll we'll put some more stuff up on the through the website and things that you can on how you can help to donate even if you can't attend. Yeah, that would be important, folks. And and as Karen said, what we really need is regular donations because we have a fortune. There really. Um, 
then 90% of the expenses for the show is buying airtime. I mean, you know, we have a bank account and a post office box and so forth and so on. And, of course, we have to pay to um, uh, keep the website up. But most of it is airtime expense. Uh, we don't have a way around it except cutting down the number of shows or becoming an, an Internet-only sh- only program. Eleven years now, and everybody, nobody thought we'd lost it, uh, that we'd last more than two weeks, Karen. But here we are, <laughs> all this time later. And Karen, why don't you introduce our guest now that we tried to hit people on mon- for money? Remember, go to our website, not the Facebook page, vvid.org. There's a small button there where you can donate. It'd really be nice to have regular donations so that we have. Income equal to our expenses. Thank you very much, folks. Yeah, so today we wanted to talk about uh, you know, the effects. We all know that we redistricted our districts in Arizona. Some districts are pretty much the same. Some had some major changes. And lots of them are Republican districts or Democratic districts. But there's a number in the middle that could flip either way. And there's areas of the state that are changing. So we wanted to talk about what we need to do and which districts we can really flip. The uh, Senate and the House are quite close. It only takes a few seats in each, and we'll have a tied houses, or we would have a Democratic majority. And these are races where it is possible, and it's likely to flip some of these seats. So we wanted to talk about, about some of those, and we have a guest, is Jeannie Castine, who's running for the Arizona Senate in District 2, which is one of those seats that in its prior configuration two years ago elected you know, uh, two Republicans and one Democrat of their sort of three-member legislative delegation. So it's a district which is changing. Um, Jeannie is a school teacher. She's taught middle school. She's taught high school. She also was a school board member in Creighton, which is in the downtown Phoenix, which is also where she taught in the neighboring districts in downtown Phoenix. She was a school board member for eight years. She's, uh, she ran two years ago for Maricopa County Superintendent of Schools and lost by a heartbreaking 0.6 of a percent. Hmm. Really, really close. Really close. Yeah. Really close. She's also currently the executive director of the Secular Coalition for Arizona, which is a coalition of groups, you know, free-thinking groups, secular groups, people who believe in the separation of church and state. And obviously, as part of that, she spent a lot of time this year at this year's legislature. And as she said, she moved to a new legislative district, and she told us at a fundraiser over the weekend, within 24 hours of her changing her address in the voter registration system, all kinds of Democrats in her new new district were calling her up to convince her to run for something. And they called her every day, and they texted her every day, and they convinced her to run for the Arizona State Senate. So she's a, a great candidate. You know, she's been involved in you know, different areas of Phoenix and knows, knows a lot about what we need to do to win and is herself in a district which is, you know, should be very winnable. Now, Karen, both the districts that we were in, which is represented by Wendy Rogers, Up and here. the new district that we don't really have a representative for, are strongly conservative and Republican, yeah. right? Yes. So what we're kind of suggesting to folks that if they're interested in um, races, to spend some time supporting good candidates in the in the congressional, I mean, in the legislative district that we're in, but also look at some legislative districts that they might support someone mm-hmm. in, so that we could change the configuration of the legislature. Yeah, because pretty much the four districts that cover northern Arizona, all of you know from you know state you know border to border of the state, 
with the exception of the one that centers on the Navajo Nation, are all Republican areas. They're all currently now held by Republicans. There's some incumbents running. There'll be some new people. But they're all heavily Republican districts. So we've got great people, Democrats, running in northern Arizona in those districts. But you know, numerically, they have a really long way to go to win, where a number of Phoenix districts are changing demographically, and you know, Maricopa County is no longer a Republican stronghold like it used to be. So um, Jeannie, her district is up there in sort of north-central Phoenix, and that's one that is changing. So you know, what do you have to say about your districts? Or how, and, how, and Jeannie, remind us how many districts we need to flip to get tied or a majority. Uh, well, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it and the opportunity to talk about uh, some of these flippable districts. Well, the makeup right now in the House is, as I'm sure most of your listeners probably already know this, it's 3129. Um, you know, as you said, Representative Judy Schwiever, uh, the House running mate on the Democrat side in my district, Legislative 2, she flipped her seat last year. Um, and so if we can flip one more, uh, beyond that, then we'll have an even makeup. And in the Senate, it's very similar. There are 16 uh, Republicans and 14 Democrats. Uh, the targeted districts this year, they're calling them Tier 1, is my District 2, which is North Phoenix from about Thunderbird to the 303 and from the 17 to about Cave Creek Road, approximately. And we've got District 4, which is much of the old 28. That's the one where Senator Christine Marsh flipped her seat. And over time, we had representatives like Aaron Lieber, Aaron Lieberman, who's now running for governor, and Kelly Butler, who also flipped their seat. So that one has been becoming more gradually blue. Um, because of redistricting, though, the, the numbers changed a little bit, so it'll be a bit more of a battle. And then there's District 9, which is West Mesa, and uh, District 13, which is, I believe, where currently uh, Representative Jennifer Pollack serves. And her, her district, uh, her old one, was one that was... Uh, split, right, Mistress? Yeah, there was another purple district where she was able to flip her seat. Yeah. And I can't remember if it was uh, in 2020. It was 2018, I believe, that yeah. Jennifer Pollack was able to flip her seat. Yeah, so, so, you know, I, I remember hearing somebody from the ADLCC, and that's the, what, the Arizona Democratic Legislative something-something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, talked about how, you know, back in the 2000s, the Dems in the House or Senate, I don't remember which one, they would call themselves the pizza party because there were only eight or nine of them and they could all share a pizza together. Yeah, I think it was the, the, now, the Senate. The you know, Senate we're just yeah. one vote shy. So yeah. we've made gradual changes over the past, you know, 12 or 15 years. So it's doable. It's possible. Yeah, that was what, 2006, 2000, somewhere around there. Yeah, we, the Republicans had a supermajority in both houses down there. But and the problem is... changing gradually since then. The problem is, folks, that... Whoever controls the Senate and the House has kind of absolute control and can cut the minority party out of everything. And that's kind of – it's pretty much been the situation for Democrats in the legislature and other – even though it's a one-seat separation, all this extreme, crazy, anti-education legislation has been going on because they have that one-vote majority. So it's very important, uh, folks, to, to get out there and vote, see if we can change some of these districts, but also to understand 
that there's not a lot of um, kindness toward the minority <laughs> district here in, in in Arizona, and they're cut out of decisions, uh, at least uh, for the most part. And that's why it's so important to flip a district so that if we have even a, um, a tie or a, um, a majority of one, that would just be that would just make a, all the difference in the world to the craziness you see, I mean, the, the vast amount of money being spent on yes, phony yeah. registration uh, testing and and um, um, re the votes that are clearly quite clear what they are. Um, millions of bucks yeah. wasted. And anybody who's followed that, anybody who's been involved with the various groups that have worked during this legislative session on, on the request to speak in RTS and speaking out against bills knows that this legislative session, there were more really sort of fringe bills that you would just wonder why anybody would want to promote on this year. And I know Jeannie's had the sort of luck, misfortune. <laughs> to have been down there at the legislature watching some of those bills, testifying on some of them. And it seems this year that the bills are much more from sort of the right-wing fringe of the Republican Party that are getting hearings. So with you know that one, one or two seats makes a huge difference that things would have to go back to being done by, you know, to some degree of compromise. Even a tie requires. I'm, yeah. So- let me ask you just so the districts that are flippable are mostly in Maricopa, mostly Phoenix based, right? Or, or are there rural districts that seem flippable or uh, seem to be some kind of change that would really help Democrats? So these four that I mentioned, two, four, nine, and 13, are uh, in Maricopa County. Although I want to say that 13 may stand uh, across a different county, that one is more. Um, in the south, I would have to I would have to check on that. That might I'm go to really Pinal just or focused yeah. on my districts yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and we've had in the past. I don't know how the new lines, but we've had some of the districts that included Yuma, some of the very western parts of Phoenix and Yuma that have split between Democrats and Republicans in past years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure, not sure how the lines were drawn out there. About sixteen now, and yeah. sixteen is another one that's like their tier two targeted district. Yeah, but that's sort of the only sort of rural one was the one that included Yuma and sort of from Yuma to Western Phoenix. And that was the only sort of rural district. And then there are some down, of course, in the Tucson area, which are much more heavily Democratic. But they're, yeah. Yeah, and what you're saying about the, the climate at the Capitol is absolutely true. You know, I've been going down to the Capitol and testifying as an educator for, you know, well over a decade now. Um, and the level of decorum at this point, is essentially non-existent, at least when it comes to the Stop the Steal folks who are showing up and spouting off conspiracy theories about George Soros and uh, ivermectin and you name it. And um, it's, it's really kind of a very fringe climate there. And it's not just from comments in the audience. It's also happening on the other side of the dais. And, you know, you could have 500 people signed up on RTS that are opposed to, say, school vouchers. And you've got five lobbyists who are signed up to, um, you know, in favor of them. Well, they'll choose five people from both sides, despite the fact that overwhelmingly the voices that are registering to speak are against these bills. And that's commonly the case. You know, folks who do spout off conspiracy theories, I've seen get as much as 10 minutes to talk. And other times, if it's somebody who's opposing the bill, they'll be cut off and suddenly they're paying attention to the time. So it's just a very strange kind of 
situation and and it's dire and for having just one vote in each chamber the they're acting as if you know it's a very kind of tyrannical rule um and i think there's a bit of desperation there um i think that there is some fear there based on the bills and the reason why we're seeing so many bills is because it's all also part of you know steve bannon's project blitz where they just throw so many ridiculous bills at you that all of us who are there whose job it is to track the legislation, we're just scrambling. We are, you know, kind of all running around trying to put out fires. So we've had to kind of take a much more uh, concerted focus so that we can, you know, get our different coalitions together, research the bills, and kind of divide and conquer as much as we can. But still, it's it's really overwhelming, this legislative session. So... Looking at this extreme legislation, we see not only extreme legislation being proposed, but we see a kind of breakdown in decorum or the rules of how you be fair to your opponents and didn't you win the election. So so I guess my question, it really is a serious breakdown in the way that people are treating each other and responding to other people's points of view. I mean, we don't have... The kind of, you know, you know, what's good for Peter is good for Paul kind of thing. We don't have any of that sense of, of fairness. And my other question, so this is like two part question is, are there sort of sane Republicans, sane conservative Republicans anymore down there? Or is it just all crazies? I mean, there's, there's glimpses of sanity from the other side. Um, you know, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, I think his name is Joel John, and and I believe he was appointed in the northern part of the state. Um, He at least asked some very thoughtful questions. And, you know, uh, uh, there was a bill about the teachers posting absolutely everything before they even met their students. I believe that was the bill that he was speaking on. And I I may be wrong here, but I think it's uh, SB 1211. And um, that bill, like I said, would force teachers to post everything before they even meet their students. And, again, this is something typically that teachers do. We turn in our lesson plans. We turn in our unit plans. We make them available. Um, You know, we have open uh, houses and meet the teacher nights and parents. We want a partnership with parents. And so Joel John on the floor basically said, you know, what profession is this going to happen to next? You know, are we going to have... Uh, doctors and therapists post everything that they're going to do with their patients? Are we going to require chefs to post everything? You know, like, when do we stop this? Because this, these measures are already in place to have a partnership between parents and teachers. But there's this, you know, false narrative going around the entire nation about how teachers are oh, indoctrinating their students and how they're working behind parents' backs and how they're, you know, trying to train children about how to handle their own personal lives and it's just simply a, you know it's a false narrative so you know there's him uh when it came to some of the trans bands you know the bands of uh, trans girls in sports and the uh, uh, medical procedures for trans children um it was tyler pace who actually was you know he said there are already rules in place you know there are already organizations that um, you know, do this work and have studied this and have processes for, you know, determining whether uh, a trans girl should be allowed to play on a girl's team. So why are we doing this? Now, he did come back with an amendment that um, that still went against some of those guidelines, like the WPATH, for, and those are international guidelines for 
uh, trans medical providers. Um, so, you know, there are some voices of reason, but more and more, uh, I, I kind of get the feeling that too, a lot of times they are willing to kind of sacrifice at times just so they can get their bills heard too. So they may be the voice of reason. And then behind closed doors, it seems sometimes they, you know, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Oh, we heard. So, yeah. yeah, we heard Governor Ducey some months ago when speaking about Wendy Rogers, who our state senator, and I forgot exactly what he said because they were talking about what well, was when she was censured in the Senate mm-hmm. for making anti-Semitic remarks, which is the first time a Republican has been censured for what they said, you know, in a long time. But he said he basically made a comment to the effect that as long as she was a Republican, he wanted her there because she was going to vote on things he wanted to vote on. He didn't really care who who the Republicans were or what they said or you know, what they thought as long as they would support him. And that seems to be sort of a feeling where you, yeah. You know, he, 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 and by the way, your listeners may not know this, but that censure was just an empty gesture yeah. because she still sits on her committee. Yeah. She still gets to vote. She but, still says crazy things. Yeah, you it was know, a slap on the wrist. But, um, she yeah. still <laughs> insults people. And, you know, if you, have, if you look at her Twitter feed at all, oh, yeah. she's <laughs> Unhinged. Yeah. But did that even even the slap on the wrist she got was the sort of first sort of public slap on the wrist that the party the Republican Party has given a fellow Republican for something they said as opposed to something they did, you know, issues of mm-hmm. sexual harassment or financial improprieties and things. But they, even that was you know it, it takes quite I mean it takes quite a lot for the Republican Party to stand up and say this person is is beyond the pale in what they said. Even if you know they yeah. they haven't lost their you know their powers and things, well, I noticed the Speaker of the House Rusty Bowers did you know kill a couple of the more extreme voting rights bills by the one bill by assigning it to every single committee, and then it did pop back up in the Senate on a procedural strike everything, but it looks like the you know, it was sort of dead. That was one that would have. I think the, the the Republican who was proposing that one wanted to take us back to 1958. He wanted everybody to vote at a polling place, and he wanted every ballot to be counted by hand within 24 hours, which yeah. is physically yeah. physically <laughs> impossible. Who yeah. is, uh, yeah. you know, with the coalition for um, Arizona counties or something like that? Yeah. I can't remember the name of the organization, yeah. and you know, she deals with um, elections all the time. And, you know, despite the fact that for just about every bill that they have, there is expert testimony coming from people who are experts in the field, whether it's elections, whether it's education, uh, whether it is, um, you know, the, the medical care, it just doesn't matter. You know, whether it's the false narrative about there being a heartbeat at a certain point, um, it, it just doesn't matter what the or, experts say to these people. Yeah. You kind of get the feeling that they know how they're going to vote before the vote yeah. even takes Or the place. Arizona Senate with its yeah, Maricopa County audit and the millions mm-hmm. millions of dollars that that's going to cost Maricopa County. You know that so all of you who live down in Maricopa County are going to be paying for the costs of that, and probably in some degree in your county taxes. It comes back to something I think it was uh, Stephen Colbert said that uh, the problem was that the, the facts. Uh, were uh, leaned towards a progressive and liberal liberal way, the facts were actually going the wrong way. And so now, instead of saying, well, we'll be conservative, but we'll stick to factual kinds of things and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this, they've gone anti-factual. 
They don't want to hear from experts. They don't want to hear from anybody who knows about the details of things. What I said at the local level, and I wonder at the state, an awful lot of the work of a, of a legislator is very complicated and technical rather than sort of ideological. And yet we have a tendency, particularly by the Republican Party, to turn everything into an ideological vote and everything into a loyalty vote. And as a consequence, we get craziness. And so when I asked the question about sane Republicans, conservative Republicans, the thing is that from the outside, for someone like me watching the legislature, not nearly as carefully as Karen does, she's the expert on this, but I don't see them. I don't see the non-crazy Republicans. I see What I see is the crazy Republicans dominating the Republican Party to the extent that it's uh, extremely worrisome. So I'm glad that you. there are some non-crazies there, but um, but the structure of the way Republican parties are doing it with loyalty is everything, which is a scratch my back, then facts and differences of opinion don't almost penetrate the thrust of the legislation being discussed and discovered. Yeah, it's... Uh you know, I think the only, you know, another place where sometimes we see sanity is actually our board of supervisors, because they were the ones that were, you know, handling the decisions that were being made about the fraud it, and they were the ones that were kind of calling out. The, and they're almost all Republicans. Yeah. These are safe, secure elections. Yeah. These are valid yeah. results. You know, Stephen Richer also, I would say, who's the county recorder that replaced Adrian Fontes, he's been a voice of reason. So they exist. And I hope they start to, you know, come out of the woodwork a little bit more, and especially in districts like yours where, you know, you aren't going to get blue representation. Even if you could get a sane Republican in there who's willing to work with people on the other side, that would be great. And well, we, we I would used be to have interested to see, yeah. especially in districts like mine, LD2, yeah. what, what happens here. Because I do think that they're – I mean, I've been talking to persuasion, persuasion voters at, at the doors – and many of them are uh, now independents who are formerly in the Republican Party, or maybe they're still re- registered Republicans because they feel it's maybe part of their identity. But they're just not going along with the, you know, the big lie, this narrative about parental rights. Um, they, most most people in Arizona, the vast majority, send their children to public schools, and most of them are happy with their teachers and are happy to work in partnership with their teachers. So they don't like the fact that their kids are, you know, having to struggle through failed sub days or they have an unqualified teacher in their classroom because those things used to happen only in, you know, poorer districts, Title I schools. Now it's creeping into all of our schools. And so, you know, the disenfranchised parents who maybe didn't know how to, uh, you know, or didn't have the bandwidth to be able to navigate through the system to figure out why their kids were having long-term subs year after year, now you've got this different group of parents who are very concerned about it and not in the way that some of these, you know, parental rights people are going about it. They're actually supporting their schools, supporting organizations like Save Our Schools and all that kind of stuff. And it would seem that the last couple of election cycles, even though not all the initiatives that gathered signatures made it to the ballot, but the number of people out there, sort of activists working on, you know, the stop dark money, um, the tax-related bills for schools, the flat tax, 
um, the voucher bills. An awful lot of people spend a lot of time out in the, you know, in the sun in the middle of the summer collecting signatures on initiatives. So this one, I think, and I think that has energized a lot of people who you know may not have been involved. It didn't realize that you what effect one voter could have on some things. So all of you know that work plus all of you know a, a number of organizations who have worked to support things and have really reached out to encourage average citizens to sign up for requests to speak. I have a feeling that among a lot of progressives and Democrats are maybe much more aware now of what the state legislature does than they might have been 10 years ago and how important it is and what a huge sea change it would be regardless of who is governor if the state senate was democratic or tied. You know, so I think we've educated a lot of people about that and people I think are more involved in, in in their local LD races than they might have been a decade ago. I or think so. that's true, Karen. Yeah. I think there has been a greater and greater awareness of um, not just passing over LD races and, and but actually thinking and getting involved in it, um, providing well, some support for the candidates. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Now, well, so that's something that I've been telling folks. You know, um, we have some really wonderful, dedicated volunteers from Legislative District 3, and 3 is solidly red. Um, you know, that's like Fountain Hills area and <laughs> Joe Arpaio is running for mayor again and, and Fountain Hills. And so they're not going to have representation. But what those folks are doing, they're coming over to LD2 in North Phoenix, LD4, which is more like Paradise Valley, and they're knocking doors or they're making phone calls or they're acting as drivers for others to knock doors because knocking doors is the most effective way for us to flip the legislature. I know in my district, I personally will need to knock on about 5,000 doors and we'll need to knock on about 40,000 doors if we want to be able to flip this seat. So um, I'm telling folks too in blue districts, you know, we have uh, LB5, which is Central Phoenix, my old district, the old 24. There is uh, 11, which is South Phoenix, the old uh, 27. They've got crowded primaries. So I tell folks, too, hey, you know what, even though you're not in my district, have a house party for us. And, uh, you know, talk to your neighbors about how they can help us uh, flip this seat, because I won't be limited to just representing the constituents here in LD2. I will be representing the entire state of Arizona. So, I mean, of course, I want to bring the concerns and the issues that my constituents have uh, to the legislature, but that vote can help us stop some of the extremists within the GOP who are trying to just rule in an authoritarian way. And parental rights, which is obviously something that uh, almost all of us support and understand how important it is, bringing um, uh, folks into the, to the educational system and having a voice, has become this kind of strange thing where parental rights are the loudest and most extremist voices that show up at a, at a meeting. And so um, they don't really want parental rights. They want to be able to decide what the school teaches, despite the fact that they probably represent a, a small minority. Um, and, and you see that, this sort of the loudest voices are are the most extreme voices, and um, yeah. and what they're saying there for is parental rights. But what they really want is parental rights for me, for me, my way. <laughs> parental rights for me. I want the school done the way I want it done, 
and they, they ignore the fact that there's, you know, 125,000 parents in a district or whatever. Um, well, and this, yeah, it's, it's about power and control at this point. You know, they see that, that you know, uh, young people are far more accepting, are interested in equity. They're worried about, you know, water and things like that. Um, you know, so right now what we're seeing when they say they're pro-life, no, this is about power and control. They want government-mandated births, right, forced pregnancies and, and government-mandated births. But at the same time, they pushed through legislation, SB 1399, that would um, make it so that taxpayer-funded adoption and foster agencies could deny prospective parents of adopting or fostering a child if their religion doesn't match. So this could just very well open the door for a religious agency that doesn't believe in gay marriage to deny a gay couple to get married. So they say they're pro-life, but they are about, it's about controlling the body. And those it's about are controlling what people do in the bedroom. It's about controlling what people do with their health care. It's about controlling who gets access to the ballot. And it's so also, none of this really has anything to do with parental rights. This is about power and control. Because those are the same people who are cutting back a welfare and will not expand, let's say, child care tax credits that might allow, you know, people on that bottom level or single parents to go out and work. You know, it, it's you know, providing care and support for children who now are born and living in poverty. They're not willing to do that. They're just, you know, yeah, they're willing to legislate. And over 20 yeah. percent of our children in the state live in poverty. We have over 20,000 kids in foster care as it is. Um, you know, we... We did away with full-day kindergarten, you know, back, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. School districts make the decision what programs they're going to cut so they can provide full-day kindergarten. So we need a legislature that's going to, you know, promote the idea of a universal pre-K and providing uh, access to, um, you know, new mothers so that they can get affordable child care. Because you know, those are those things that we don't think about in other ones where we're, we're sort of on the, the wrong end of the list of the states on providing welfare support, providing the amount of, of that unemployment that an Arizonan gets is pitiful. We you know, discovered that during the you know, COVID when businesses closed, that you know, unemployment is not livable. Yeah, so that the, yeah. a lot of these, worst, all of these the things require rates in the entire country, which I didn't know until COVID. But <laughs> unfortunately, it didn't yeah. really surprise me. Yeah, a lot of these things are a difference in you know, re, you know Republican Party unwillingness to you know invest money into social the social safety net in all ways in education, which comes down to, as we've seen in the past, the idea that there, you know, it's a very rare Republican who, who is willing to mention the word tax in a positive way for any purpose. There have been one or two, and they get sort of shunted aside by their compatriots when some Republican says, you know, the state really doesn't have enough money to do something. We need to increase yeah. state revenue, and there's very few of them that will stand up and say that, even though they know that more revenue is needed for certain t programs than some. The one program, we weren't even talking about social, we were talking about roads, and there was someone who wanted to in, in increase the gas tax. You know, not, you know, mm -hmm. No comment on whether his idea was good, but he was the first Republican who sort of stood up and said, I'm introducing a bill to raise a tax. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, my opponent, uh, you know, Steve Kaiser, who's running for state senate and legislative district too, not only was he the author of the 2161, which I believe the governor just signed, um, that one is the one that would force teachers to out students with any confidence that they share 
with a teacher, uh, potentially putting them in harm's way. But he also, speaking of taxes, put forward 2166, a bill that would do away with tax revenue from guns and ammo. So, again, he could have said, you know what, uh, babies need diapers. And since we're going to force women to have government-mandated pregnancies and births, well, let's make sure that those are tax-free. Yeah. Or feminine hygiene products, maybe. Instead, no, they've no, got the, it they was uh, guns and ammo. Instead, we've got the flat tax and the initiative to repeal that for the voters was sort of thrown out. So we're going to be looking at, you know, with almost a 10% cut in state revenue unless a new legislature comes you know, there in, in 2022 and repeals some of those tax bills and takes a, you know, a more rational look at the tax structure because Arizona is going to, it's, you know, they've given, the, they've given themselves a, a 10% cut in state revenue over the next few years. And we already on everything in Arizona that the state funds funds pretty much at the minimum. You know. They're riding on the fact that they think there are going to be more people moving to Arizona and the tax base is going to expand. So when they cut it, it's not really going to have an effect. But we don't really know that that will happen. And secondly, the level of support, as, as, as you were talking about, of, of, of schools and of um, support for parents who have more difficulty getting along – is, is very, very minimal. Now, some of that's standard Republican stuff back from when I was young. They don't want taxes. They uh, In the old days, they were very pro-education, but they were very much uh, skeptical about welfare and things like that. And so some things have not changed, but the craziness of all these conspiracy theories has been tacked on to a fundamental uh, process that we can argue about. We can argue about how much government to have and what government should do. But the level of crazy that I see makes that kind of conservative liberal dialogue kind of impossible. It's all culture wars and, and lies and misinformation. It's not like, you know, where we can sit down and say, I think that uh, people on welfare should be supported to X level. And they think, no, it should be very much smaller. There's no dialogue like that. It's just just craziness. Yeah, and Jeannie, I know uh, I was at a fundraiser for Jeannie down in Phoenix over the weekend, and uh, they were talking that the Senate is sort of the key to flipping you know, the legislature as a whole. And um, I know that you're running a district. Can you just name the Democrats running in Districts 4, 9, and 13? Who are the Democrats running for the Senate in those districts? Oh, boy. Do you know? I hope okay. I get this right. So in two, I mean, obviously we have Judy Schriever representing no, I'm just thinking about the, sen- the Senate in side. Four, uh, we have Christine Marsh, uh, who flipped her seat in 2020, mm-hmm. defeating Kate Brophy McGee. She's the former Teacher of the Year. Yeah. Um, she's running again. We've got Laura Cherrick, uh, who has done work with all kinds of nonprofit uh, advocacy groups, um, and she's a former teacher as well. There's a reason why teachers are running. Um in LB9, now that's West Mesa, there's some great candidates. We've got Seth Blattman, who ran last time around for State Senate in 23. Uh, Lorena Austin, uh, she's running also for representative. And then there is um, Eva Birch, she's running for Senate. Now that's Tyler Case's old district. I, I talked about one of the perhaps more level-headed uh, Republicans in the, um, she's in the Senate. Um, so... Uh, it'll be interesting to see that district because it has been redistricted where it, I think, leans slightly blue. Um, and then the last one is, what did I say it was, 13. And again, 
I, I don't want to get it wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's Jennifer Pollock's old district. Um, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that one. I really should know yeah. that. Um, but they're all fantastic candidates, and they are, you know, people who have the, you know, they've proven themselves as advocates for, you know, our, our values and, and protecting people, you know. And you mentioned, too, that the government, you know, the GOP has always touted themselves as being the party of small government, of local control, of fiscal conservancy. None of those things are true anymore. None of those things are true. So we need to take back that narrative, too, because the policies that are being put forward that don't get a hearing, you know, by the Democrats are, are really sound policies. They're great bills. You know, Christine Marsh put forward a bill that would provide an opportunity weight for poor schools and school districts, and it didn't even get a hearing. You know, I know that Athena Salmon, even though she hasn't been able to come to the legislature because of the whole masking and anti-vax vibe down there because they just had a baby, but she had a bill that was going to, you know, say, okay, if you're going to force us to give birth, well, then you, you should pay for it, all of it. <laughs> and, of course, that one didn't get, get a hearing either. Um, yeah, I've seen listening so, to things in this legislature for, you know, Democrats who have touted the bills that they introduced and got passed, and they're all nice bills, but they don't fundamentally change anything. You know, it was a one, one representative working with, like, the Humane Society, a bill to make it illegal to declaw your cat, which is a great bill if you're a cat and you're a pet owner, but it doesn't really fundamentally affect the life of an average person in Arizona. But those seem to be the only kinds of bills the Democrats have been able to get through are these little things and sort of symbolic things where everybody who sits down agrees with it because it's not a monetary issue. It's not an ideological issue. You know, they, they're things like that, which just are, are, are pretty minor issues. And I've seen, so we've got a couple of incumbents among those four, you know, four districts you know, to support. So hopefully that will make it easier to for those people to retain their seats and, and flip a few of them. And I said it only needs, you know, the Arizona Senate was, or the House or Senate was tied back in the early 2000s. And it made that one one cycle made a huge difference because it did mean when it came to the budget, the Republicans and Democrats had to talk to each other and they had to compromise on a few issues because they wasn't, it wasn't going to pass. Otherwise, you needed you needed both parties to pass a bill. And so they yep. and hopefully at the least we get we get back to that. I mean, a, a, t- a tied house or even a one vote Democratic majority. If there's a one vote Democratic majority, I just am pretty sure that the, the Democrats will talk to the Republicans, which hasn't been the case in recent years where a one vote majority means that you have a mandate and you can ignore the other party. And I don't see the you know some of the Democratic candidates if they get elected and, and they do get that tire majority, they're going to want to make things a compromise and talk to everybody. Well, we want to thank you for being with us. I mean, we've got, I don't know, a minute and a half now <laughs> yeah. to wrap things up. Um, we really like folks to go to our website, uh, dvid.org, or Verde Valley Independent Democrats.org. And uh, there's a small button there. If you would donate, we would be deeply appreciated. I know that, that people don't want to get off their derrieres and uh, take action like that. But we need people, if you like the show, if you listen to the show, we need your support now. And I hope folks will do it. This uh, podcast is, and like all our other podcasts, for the last 11 years plus, or a couple of months plus, or 
one month plus 11 years, are available on our website, vvid.org. You can listen to any of them for the last 11 years. They're recorded in their entirety and, and unedited. You can also subscribe on like Google Podcasts. They're listed there, and you can subscribe, and that, so those will automatically get downloaded to your Google Podcast site if you, you know, want to catch up on them at a later date. And for all of the people who, who, you know, who can't listen on live at 780 Chasm in Sedona because they're outside the listening area, but for the rest of the state. And then you can carry them around and listen to them while you're walking or whatever. You don't have to listen to them at a particular time. You've got a lot of flexibility. So we hope to uh, be able to stay on air, folks, and uh, hope you will support us. And uh, I think we have some good shows coming up in the future. And, uh, well, I guess we do have to wrap it up. Thank you for being with us. We really appreciate you listening appreciate your support. Thank you. DVID.org is the, our main website. Thanks very much. been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.